Lord and our God, King of the universe. As we open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would open our minds and that you would open our hearts and that you would fill it with your word, with the power of your word and with the strength of your word and with the truth of your word and that it would impact our lives and transform us as we come before your throne in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. topic tonight, keeping with our theme on Elijah and the kings of Israel. And so we're with Ahab and Elijah and fire in 1 Kings, actually it's chapter 18 that we're up to. And so just in review, um, God sent Elijah to go to King Ahab, the king of the north, the northern tribes. Um, and uh, Ahab married, married to Jezebel, a uh, pagan um, from a pagan nation, following and worshiping Baal, and uh, Ahab following along with her. And so Elijah comes to Ahab and tells him that it's not going to rain on the land until Elijah comes back and tells him so. God sends Elijah to, uh, to a river on the east bank of the Jordan River, uh, one of the uh, little streams uh, that feeds into the Jordan River, and there provides water and food from ravens. And so he's there drinking from the river and, and eating the foods that the ravens are providing for him for, for months. The Bible doesn't tell us how long, how long uh, he actually stayed there. But eventually the brook did dry up. And so then the Lord sent him to Sidon in northern Israel, north of Israel, uh, to actually the land where Jezebel was from. And he hid there and God provided for him in the home of a widow. He went to this widow, and she was uh, poor and just about to eat her last meal. And Elijah said, feed me first. Give, to, give your last meal to me, because the Lord has promised that you will have more uh, even after that. And she believed, and, uh, and so she gave her last meal to him, and then she went back into her house, and there was oil still in the vase, and there was flour still in the jar, and God provided for them for then the rest of the time of the drought. And so God was able to provide. He's able to provide through ravens. He's able to provide through rivers. He's able to provide through miraculously. However God chooses to provide, he's able to provide through willing people and, uh, and faithful people. And so while Elijah was there staying with this young lady, this widow lady and her young son, um, her son dies. And uh, Elijah takes her up to the room that he is staying in. And uh, he prays over him, prays earnestly, fervently, three times, and the Lord miraculously heals the child. And then the Lord sends uh, Elijah to Ahab, and again, that's where we're picking up the story. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And uh, just how it is, right? We, uh, we get the blame for everything. And uh, just live with it. Again, that's what we talked about in a different message. But uh, Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. And that's how it is as well today. Those who are disobeying God's commandments Blame those who are following God's ways. 
And really the problems in the land and the problems in the earth and the problems in our life are because of the times when we disobey God. And because of all the way back to Adam and Eve disobeying the commandments of the Lord and bringing trouble to this earth. But Elijah put the blame where it belonged back on Ahab and his leadership. And Ahab, Elijah said to Ahab, this is where now we're actually picking up the story. All that was just quick review. Elijah says to Ahab, gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So Ahab listened. As we've seen in the past, we'll see even more as we continue this week and in future weeks. Ahab is so wishy-washy. He just goes with whatever's commanding him at the time. And so Elijah commands, go get the prophets, go get the prophets that are eating at Jezebel's table. So again, we see Jezebel is the, is the real controller here, the real kingpin here. And, uh, and so there are all these uh, 850 prophets are, are Je Jezebel's doing, and Ahab just goes along with it. He allows it. But then Elijah comes along and says, bring them all and meet me on Mount Carmel. And so Ahab goes and does it. He goes and sends for them, uh, even though he's been looking for Elijah for the three and a half years, searching all the land for him, and even searching other countries, and even commanding the, the leaders of these other countries to make an oath that they don't know where Elijah is. Even though half the time he was, or part of the time he was right there in Israel on the east bank of the Jordan River, and another part of the time he was in Jezebel's home country. They didn't know where he was. God had protected him. God had him, uh, hid him, even in plain sight. And so now Elijah comes boldly. Ahab has no doubt been fearful of him and angry at him at the same time. And Elijah comes and says, bring them all to Mount Carmel. And Ahab does so. They all gather together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Times haven't changed. Nothing new under the sun. God still calls for us to make a decision. To either follow the Lord or follow Baal. Or follow the ways of this world. Or follow whatever. If the Bible is truth, follow the Bible. If it's not the truth, then don't follow it. Why would you follow something that's not truth? Why would you follow something that's a lie? Why would you follow something that contains lies? The Lord is God. Follow him. That makes sense. But today it amazes me. How many congregations profess to believe the Bible, profess to follow the Lord, and at the same time will say openly they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe passages of it. They don't believe certain aspects of it. Even the first part, of, even the very beginning of it, even the first words of it. Well, if the first words of it aren't right, then how can you t trust anything else thereafter? And so we live in this middle ground. 
in this country and in this world today. Thinking that, well, we can believe a little bit in it and we can leave a little bit in the bales. We can believe a little bit in what God says and we can believe a little bit in what the so-called scientists believe. We can believe a little bit in what the Bible says and we can believe a little bit whatever my heart says. Whatever feels good. Whatever impresses my mind. Whatever is said on television or on the internet. I can believe this and that. And it's amazing. We're living in a society today of people who are able to keep several different beliefs in their mind, believe them all, even though they contradict each other 100%. And they have no problem with that. It's absolutely amazing. That's the type of we're living in. That's the type of society that we're living in today. There's even a term for it. Sociologists have termed it. It's a postmodern society. And that's one of the the um, fruits of the postmodern mindset is to be able to have contradicting uh, beliefs in your mind and not have a problem with them con conflicting there. Better to be all the Lords or all Baals. Kind of like in Revelation, it says, rather, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But you're in the middle, you're lukewarm. It's the pure definition of Babylon. Confusion. Living in confusion. But if the Lord is Lord, then his word is truth, and his word is right, and his word is good. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Unless everything he gives to us is because it's for our good. Either follow the Lord, or don't. You know, there's a term for, even have a term for this, there's a term for people who profess to follow the Lord, but then don't, and follow other things. Do you know what that term is? Hypocrite. Yeah, hypocrisy. Yeah. It's termed a hypocrite. Yeah. And so Elijah says, let's do away with being hypocrites. Let's stop being hypocrites. Let's either serve the Lord, or not serve the Lord. It's time to make a decision, one way or the other. Take a stand. Even as that widow did, again, living in Jezebel's nation. She took a stand. She took the fugitive Elijah in. She provided for him. She gave him shelter. She took a stand for the Lord. She made a profession of faith in the Lord even under those circumstances. Elijah taking a stand for the Lord. We read about Obadiah, Ahab's chief of his household, took a stand for the Lord. God calls us to take a stand in this day and age as well. To take a stand firmly for the Lord. Or not make the decision. It's uncomfortable sitting on a fence. Probably the worst condition there can be. And maybe that's so why so many people turn away from God, turn away from the Bible, turn away from the religion, because what they've been taught is to sit on a fence. And after sitting on the fence after a while, they get a sword down under, and they say, this is no fun. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. 
And so they just get off the fence. And too often, they get off on the wrong side of the fence. There's probably nothing worse of an experience of being half for the Lord and half again uh, against the Lord. You get all the burdens and all the guilt, but you don't get any of the joy and all the power. But to be fully for the Lord, there is nothing more exciting, more invigorating than being fully, wholly for the Lord. 100% sold for the Lord. Sold out for the Lord. We're able to get rid of the guilt, we're able to get rid of the, the shame, get rid of the, the, the falling, and the struggling, the fears and the worries, the anxieties, the angers, the bitterness, and we're able to be set free. And we're able to rest in his love and rejoice in his goodness. We're able to receive of his power. And we're able to go from victory to victory, trusting in his strength. It's an exciting thing. And then as he fills us and fills us to overflowing and we go sharing it with other people, it's exciting to see other people get on, lit on fire for the Lord. See people who've never read the Bible before start reading the Bible and see it come alive in their life. There's no better joy. There's no greater joy. And to see a life transformed by the power of God. To see miracles take place in people's lives. It's exciting to live with the Lord. But we miss that when we're halfway in and halfway out. And of course, if we're all the way out, well, the devil just takes control of us and leads us wherever he wants to. And sometimes he'll lead us on a fast road. Sometimes he'll lead us on a, on a, on a fun ride for a while before he drops us off somewhere. Life in the fast lane might seem exciting for a while, but there is nothing more exciting, nothing more powerful than living fully for the Lord. Nothing more challenging, nothing more daring than coming face to face against Satan himself. Going against his policies, going against his temptations, going against his ways and going forward with the Lord. Having the Lord on our side, having the Lord's power moving us forward. Nothing more exciting. That's what the Lord wants. And that's why Elijah is able to say that. Before this group of people who haven't had rain for three and a half years, who've been living under the bales, who've been worshiping the false gods, who for several kings now have known nothing but idolatry. And Elijah comes forward and says, Make a decision for the Lord. Come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of darkness, my people. Come out of the confusion, my people. And come and serve the Lord. Here, God's been providing for Elijah. For three and a half years, here the king and all his men and all of his horses could not find him. God protected him. And just that is a living testimony. And here he is, willing to stand before all the people and before 850 false prophets and before the king himself who's put a bounty on his head and has searched all these nations for him 
And here he is standing with courage and strength. That in and of itself is a testimony of the power of the Lord. That is probably the biggest miracle of this whole story. That someone is willing to trust God to protect him even if he stands up against the enemies that have wanted to take his life. And he's able to stand there unafraid. He's able to stand there boldly and to start his message with, serve the Lord or don't serve the Lord. Make your decision. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of Ahab. He's not afraid of his army. He's not afraid of the false prophets. He comes there and stands there. And I'm sure everyone in the crowd said, I wish I had that kind of courage. I wish I was able to have that kind of composure when I go through problems, when I go through struggles, when I go through struggles in my life, when I go through times of want, when I go through times of not having no food, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. I wish that I could trust the Lord so much that he'd bring a raven to feed me. I wish I'd be able to stand up against my enemies, whether the physical enemies that we see or the internal enemies in our minds and in our hearts that war against us. I wish I could stand up against the devil and say no to him when the temptation comes. They're looking at Elijah and saying, I wish I had that power. I wish I had that authority. I wish I had that strength in the name of the Lord. And Elijah's there testifying that they can have it as well. That's why he starts with that. You can have this as well. Choose the Lord. Powerful testimony. And the people answered, but the people answered him not a word. Out of all the crowd that was there, not a word. No one had the courage to take the first step forward. No one had the courage to raise their hand and say, I want to be on the Lord's side. They were all afraid. Take a stand for the Lord. They answered him not a word. It's a sad testimony. And today, people are afraid to take a stand for the Lord. People are afraid to take a stand for the right. People are afraid of what the others are going to say. What if someone sees me raise my hand? What if someone sees me step forward? What if someone sees me change my lifestyle? What if someone sees me change my habits? What if someone sees me making a full profession and walking out in faith? What if I start walking out in faith and what if I fail? What if I make a mistake? What if I fall back? What will they say about me? What will they think about me? What if I fail? What if it's not real? You know, a wonderful thing with the Lord. You can choose to follow the Lord 100% fully. And if you don't like it, he'll let you leave. He gives us free choice. The devil's not so nice. We get hanging around with him too long. It becomes possession where he doesn't let us go. And it takes the Lord's power to totally break us free. Fasting and prayer to totally set us free. Try the Lord. Holy, completely, 100%, all the way with the Lord. All the scriptures, let it fill your mind. 
all of God's laws, let it fill your life. Let him write his laws in your heart and mind. And let him compel you to do that. Serve the Lord. Rebuke the fears. And in the name of the Lord, fear be gone. Begin to walk forward in faith and let the Lord carry you. And don't worry about failing because the Lord is able to pick us up. The Lord is able to carry us through. The Lord is able to keep us from falling. And even if we fall, he's able to forgive us and get us back on the right path. In the book of 1 John, it says, I tell you these things that you sin not. John believed it's possible by God's power to sin not. I tell you these things so that you do not sin. But if you do fall, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, who can pick us up and get us back on the right course. It's powerful. They answered him not a word. And Elijah said, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them give us two bulls, let them choose one for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. So he lays out the, lays out the game plan. Since you guys are not willing to come forward and make a profession just on seeing the power of the Lord in Elijah's life, we'll do another demonstration, we'll let the Lord show you. And so we'll set up this, this challenge. We'll build two altars, we'll put two bulls on them, one on each. And the God who answers by fire, that's the Lord's. That's the Lord. Seems reasonable, right? And he starts and says, I'm, I'm the only one there, 450, plus they got these other 400 prophets from this, the other God. So they're God's outnumbered, let them provide the bull. I'm a little short change on bulls right now, so let them, they've got all this, let them provide the two bulls. And I'll even let them go first because there are so many. How's that sound? Now, there's one thing in this text that's uh, a little problematic. I don't know if you noticed it. Elijah said, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Now, we'll see in another week or so or next time, whenever. Uh, that's not exactly true. At all. He believed that then, but should he have known better? Remember last time? What did Obadiah tell him? Obadiah hid a hundred prophets of the Lord, fifty in each cave, and was feeding them with bread from his table. And so there were at least a hundred there still in Israel in two caves somewhere that were serving the Lord. Now maybe Elijah didn't want to tell them about these guys right at this point. You know, uh, but we'll see. That'll come back in another time. Right here, he is alone. That's right. Right here and now on Mount Carmel, he is standing alone. That's right. That's true. Something wrong with this thing. There we go. Then you call on the name of your gods. First Kings chapter 18, 24. Then you call, talking about the prophets of Baal, you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So finally they did have a voice. So people spoke up. Okay, that sounds reasonable. We want to see this. We came to see a show, and so that sounds good. 
you know, we're not so sure, and, you know, we've heard, uh, we've been hearing about the Baals all this time and all the false idols, and, and back from uh, Jeroboam, we've been worshiping the two calves, the golden calves that he set up, and Dan, and I think, what was the other one, Samaria, or wherever, and, and so we've been worshiping them, and then here Ahab came along and married Jezebel, and so then we've learned about the Baals and the Asterisks, and, and so we've learned all these different things, and, and so you've got some way to prove who's the right one? Well, we're open to that. Sounds good to us. Well spoken. And the prophets of Baal took the bull which was given them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made, and they're leaping and dancing and crying out before the altar and before the people in Baal and and uh, no doubt someone's down there trying to light a match somewhere, you know. <laughs> I can just, I'm sure, 450 of them, I'm sure somebody's trying. And I wonder, I wonder whether or not they are, you know, charlatans, whether they know that there is no God in Baal, that they know that there's no power there, or whether they're self-deceived. I think they're self-deceived. Even though for three and a half years they've been praying to Baal for some rain to prove Elijah wrong and they haven't succeeded, it's amazing how long people will believe a lie. Even in the face of such clear evidence, they'll still stick to the false tradition, whatever they grew up with, or whatever they learned, or whatever they've chosen. It's hard for us to admit we're wrong. It's hard for us to admit we made a mistake. It's hard for us to give up what we invested all this time and bought these idols and did all of this, and even though it was a wrong path. Then we figure, well, I'll just throw some more energy and more time and more money into that same hole and admit I was wrong. Pride is a horrible thing. Stubbornness is a horrible thing. Stiff-neckedness is a horrible thing. Stupidity is horrible as well. But God can set us free from all of those things. He can set us free from our pride, and he can set us free from our arrogance and, and our fears, again, of admitting that we were wrong. And so there they are, yelling and screaming and chanting and calling out. You know, the Bible is very funny. God has a real sense of humor. Verse 27, At noon, Elijah mocked them, crying aloud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Yell louder. Maybe he went to the bathroom. You know, give him some time here, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's taking a shower, you know. Cry louder. Cry aloud. Maybe he's in deep meditation. You've got to get his attention. You've got to do something. And all the false gods of this world, all the false teachings of this world, all the false doctrines of this world teach us that we have to do something in order to get our God's attention. That we have to do, somehow become good enough to get his attention. But the Bible teaches that God has already been good enough. That God is good to us first. That God loves us first. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that draws us to him. 
She said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people onto himself. He's been lifted up. He has already provided for us. He's already created us. He's already known his plans for us from the creation of the world. He's already provided the sacrifices, at least as far as he's concerned, from the foundation of the world. He's already paid the price for us. He's already given us salvation. He's already granted it to us. It's ours to accept. It's ours to receive. He's already paid for it. You get a note from a friend, I, I bought this thing for you, just go pick it up. They're waiting for you. If you don't go pick it up, you don't ever get it. It's already been paid for. Maybe they even sent it to you. And they call you up, hey, did you get the package yet? No. You sure? No. Did you check your front door? No. Well, go check your front door. They go out and there's the package. There's the package. So then they bring the package inside. You call them another week or two later. So what did you think of the package? Well, I didn't open it yet. <laughs> it's already been paid for. It's already been sent. It's already been given to us. God has already first done for us. He's already given us his most precious gift. He's already given us his most precious gift. He gave us his son. It's a sacrifice so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins. But all the others got to cry out. So Elijah's mocking them. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. Oh, yeah, we're not just talking about, how can you say yuck? You're going to study, you're studying uh, surgical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking just little cuttings here. Blood gushing out of them. They're cutting themselves to the core. It's not an imaginary belief. They are seeped in this. They believe this. They believe the real. And that is sad. They've sold themselves so much out to the devil that they've become so convinced that even in light of the plainest testimony, they can no longer hear it. Sad. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And they came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So there on Mount Carmel, there was an altar of the Lord. Who knows how far back it went? There was an altar of the Lord. But it was broken down, it hadn't been used in a long time, but it still stood there as a testimony of the true God. So he does this at the time of the evening sacrifice. What evening sacrifice? The evening sacrifice in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. So Elijah's keeping time with the sanctuary, the temple, in Jerusalem in the nation of Judah, the southern tribes. Even though he's here up in the northern tribes and he's there with Ahab, the king of the northern tribes, he sets it for the evening sacrifice. We see that come up in the book of Daniel. Gabriel visits Daniel during the time of the evening sacrifice. And the sacrifices weren't even going on at that time. The temple didn't even exist at that time. God was keeping time when those sacrifices, because those sacrifices represented the Messiah to come, 
The sacrifices represented the forgiveness for all sins. If you committed a specific sin, you brought your own sacrifice any time of the day. But a blanket covering every morning and evening just to cover everybody and all the unknown sins. And so in time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, come near, and they all came near, and he repaired the altar that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around about the altar, and he put wood in order, and cut the bowl, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots full of water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He built up this altar with 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. That's interesting. Again, at this point in time, the nation is split. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, plus Levi, are down in the south. Plus many people, as we've been reading, many people from the north came down to the south. They didn't want to worship the golden calves. They wanted to worship the true God. They took a stand for the Lord. They left the falsehoods, they left their property, they left their livelihood, they left their inheritance. They left the inheritance that would be to their children and their grandchildren and on down and, and left them to become basically homeless. They didn't have any inheritance down the south, but they were willing to follow the Lord even with no inheritance. And so left it all and went down. So there were people from all the different tribes down in the south. But Elijah still takes 12 stones. He didn't just take two, he didn't just take three, representing the southern tribes or something like that. He didn't just take nine or ten, or ten, I guess, representing the northern tribes. He takes twelve, showing that God loves all of Israel, the totality of it all. Elijah still believes in a literal one nation under God. It's what God's original plan, and what Elijah is still hoping for that a revival will take place in the north, that Ahab will repent, that Ahab will take a stand, and that Ahab will unite with the southern king and, and there will be unity in the nation again. So he takes 12 stones. He doesn't give up hope. 12 stones and builds the altar, according to the tribes of Israel. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran all around the altar. And he filled the trench with water. Now, I don't know where they got all that water. They'd been a drought for three and a half years. And that's 12 bucketfuls, right? Four buckets, first one. And then do it a second time. Then do it a third time. 12 bucketfuls of water that are being poured on this altar. Saturating the bowl. Saturating the wood running down off the rocks, the kindling, the, it's all wet. And this trench that he dug, water's just filling up the trench. And the ground must be parched. I mean, the ground must be dry. And so, you know, the water's draining down, even though he built the trench. But it, it's, he's pouring so much that the, even the trenches are filling up. Again, I'm not exactly sure. There might have been a spring nearby. There is a spring nearby, but maybe that spring... Near Mount Carmel was still running, one of the springs that kept running. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea is not too far away. And so maybe they were getting salt water, pouring salt water on it. I don't know. But they had some water. You can imagine the people. They've been standing there all day long. 
from morning till evening watching in the heat, watching this charades and the show going on. And now you're taking all this water and pouring. I'm sure they're thirsty as anything. And they're seeing you waste all this water and pour it on top of the bowl. They're thinking, this guy's mashugana. This guy is nuts. This guy has lost it. He's wasting all this water. Besides that, how's he going to kindle this thing with all that water on it? Maybe even some of them got mad. They said, oh, water can be put to good use. There's a lot of poor people. There's a lot of needy people who can use that water. Here you're wasting that water. Wasn't winning many friends with that act. Still, and they did it. The people obeyed. Why did the people obey? The power of the Lord was so upon Elijah that even though he's hated by this king and hated by these prophets and no doubt hated by many of the people, because no doubt, just like Ahab, you're the troubler of Israel, they're saying the same thing. We don't have any water because you prophesied. Because you quoted this God. Because you quoted that Bible. You're the big problem in this world. You want to live differently. You want to live that way. And so we are cursed. And here you're convicting us. You're causing trouble in our lives. So no doubt they weren't happy with him either. And yet they're obeying him because the power of the Lord is so upon him that they can do no otherwise. Elijah's committed himself fully to the Lord. Again, there's nothing more powerful than a, a soul that is so weak and without strength and yet relies wholly on the Lord's power. Nothing more powerful than that. The weaker we realize we are, where nothing we appear in our own eyes, the more powerful God appears and comes forth. So they filled the trenches, and at that time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Who is it that does the turning of hearts? The Lord does it. We can't even turn our own hearts, but the Lord is able to turn our hearts back to him. So he prays, turn their hearts, Lord. Let them see that you are the Lord God. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When God does it, God does it right. When God does it, God does it big. He burned it all. He didn't just burn the sacrifice. He didn't just burn the wood. He didn't just drive the water. He burnt the stones. And he burnt the dust. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. He wants to get our attention. He has ways of getting our attention. He can bring fire down. Lord, bring your fire down. Wake us up. Lighten our minds. Burn the dross out of our lives. Burn the stones out of our lives. Burn the wood and the hay and the stubble out of our lives. Fill us with your pure gold faith. 
Burn the junk out of us. Burn the sins and the burdens and the cares. Fill us with faith in you. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What's it going to take for us to fall on our face and say, Lord, you are God. What's it going to take to wake us up as individuals, as a congregation, to get serious about the Lord? What's it going to take for this nation, for this world, to fall on its face and acknowledge that the Lord God is God. It's got to start with us. It's got to start with us individually. It's got to start with the Elijahs among us. It's got to start with the people among us. It's got to start with us. The fire has to come down upon us and enlighten us and empower us. We have to get serious about the Lord like Elijah was for those three and a half years. What do you think he was doing for those three and a half years? He was praying for this moment. He was praying for the people. Lord, forgive the people. Forgive them in their false worship. Forgive them in their idolatry. Forgive them in their confusion. Forgive them, Lord, and wake them up. Lord, have mercy upon them. And Lord, change my heart. Lord, take away the negativity. Take away the judgmental attitude. Lord, give me love for them. Give me a burden for them. Give me a passion for them. Give me a love for you and a passion for you. And increase my faith. And as Elijah prayed to increase his faith, he had troubles to help him in his faith. The river dried up. The little boy died. He sent to go before Elijah. And before Ahab, he was given challenges, but he took them in stride, trusting in the Lord. And his faith continued to grow. We need to get serious about the Lord, and it starts with praying, Lord, turn me to you. Turn me 100% to you. Show me what's in there that needs to be burned out, and take it, you're a consuming fire, take it and burn it at Calvary. Burn it. Destroy it. Bury it in the tomb. Remove it from me. And fill me with your glory. And Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them. All 850 of the prophets there. Brings them down, has them all executed. Their hearts had so turned. Their hearts had become so hardened. They became so possessed. That even this powerful miracle and even Elijah's testimony over the last three and a half years weren't enough to wake them up. So they had to be rooted out. And Elijah has them executed. And as God reveals sin in our lives, we need to get rid of it. I don't care how long you've been carrying that pet around. 
I don't care how cute it is, how much you like it, how many generations you've had it. I don't care how deep-seated it is in your personality and in our, in our psyche. When the Lord reveals sin, we need to let go of it and let God destroy it and get rid of it. You cannot sit on the fence. If the Lord is God, serve him with a whole heart and allow him to remove everything that's not of heaven. Make our decision. We can sit with the prophets of Baal if we want, be executed in the end in the judgment day. If that's what we want, then get out of the Lord's way. But if we want the power of the Lord and the promises of the Lord to be fulfilled in our lives, then serve the Lord and follow Him. Today is the day. Today is the day of the Lord's calling. This is the day. You hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the days past. But make a decision for the Lord. I encourage each one of us to make a total commitment to the Lord. Not half-hearted in any way, shape, or form, but fully committed to him. Any area in our life that he convicts us of that we're not following him to the knowledge that we have, or any area that we're not willing to pursue more knowledge of him and more knowledge of his word, any area we're not wanting to walk in anywhere, we're not willing to obey him, any area where we're not willing to share him, any area where we're just sitting there and answering not a word, and the Lord saying, speak, go and profess, go and speak to Ahab, go and speak to the people, go and share my word. Whatever it is in your life, ask for the Lord to pour down this fire upon you and burn up the stones, burn up the wood, burn up the water. Remove everything out of us. Allow Him to fill you 100% and even more so to overflowing with His power and His grace and His love. As we pray together tonight, pray that each one of us will make a commitment Follow the Lord, to serve the Lord even more fully. Even if we feel like we've been serving the Lord, there's more the Lord wants to do in us and through us. There's more power and more grace and more promises He wants to live out of us and in us and through us. Till God has worked the power in each one of us. And we have the faith that fed by ravens, raising the dead, standing before 850 prophets of Baal, and able to call down fire from heaven and see God work. There's more the Lord wants to do in us. So let's pray together for God's power to come down upon us. Because we don't stand alone. We stand together with the Lord. And we stand together with one another. No one's a lone soldier. God wants to use us together. We pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful, Lord, for the testimony of Elijah. We're thankful, Lord, for the power of your word. We're thankful, Lord, for this account, this story, this truth. And Lord, we want it relived out now. Pour out your Elijah power upon us. Lord, we want a double portion of the spirit that you had upon Elijah. Lord, we want to see your power manifested in our lives. We want the strength and the courage to stand against the evils in our hearts and in our lives.
and that are around us. Lord, give us the ability to be your peculiar people, to stand for truth, even while everyone else is following the wrong way. Lord, live out your life in us and through us for your honor and for your glory. Lord, any area in our life that's holding us back, Lord, we ask that you reveal it to us, that you wash us clean, and that you set us free, and that you move us forward. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.